Welcome to another Homebrew Audio podcast. Record professional music and voiceovers on your computer. We'll show you how. Today's episode, the 2021 relaunching of the Homebrew Audio podcast. Yes, you heard right. I'm actually starting up the podcast again. I've been meaning to do this for the past few years, but the time never seemed right for one reason or another. Not just because I may be kind of lazy. That's definitely part of it. But there are other things too, some maybe valid concerns. But it's been so long since the last episode. It was in 2011. Can you believe it? And 10 years ago, people were still trying to figure out this whole podcasting thing. How long should an episode be? Do you need to have guests? How do you publish it? What the heck is an XML file? How do I put in the metadata? How do I get a graphic to show up for the show? And on and on. Back then, the audio recording was the easy part. Getting the feed out there correctly was not really for the faint of heart. My thought at the time was that I could simply do an audio version of posts from the Homebrew Audio website. So the shows were like eight minutes long. There still isn't really a standard length for a show. Some are four hours long. One of my favorite podcasts is called Hardcore History by Dan Carlin, and each one is multiple hours long. Um, some podcasts are only 10 minutes long, even in 2021. But moving forward, I'd like to provide more than just the audio version of a single post on the website. Homebrew Audio is about, well, audio. So there's so much more that can be done, from audio samples of different microphones I've reviewed to examples of good versus not-so-good audio quality, like what do I mean when I say that? Also, as both a musician and a voiceover actor, my content will include music stuff, such as how to record instruments and vocals and how to apply effects and what those sound like, mixing and mastering. But I'll also do lots of shows on the best ways to record voiceover stuff. I use the term voiceover as a sort of catch-all for any spoken word recordings. So that includes actual voiceover industry stuff, as well as podcasts, audiobooks, and video narrations. And of course, there are lots of things that apply to both categories, like recording software, microphones, how to edit audio and produce it, and all that stuff. In 2021, there are podcasting services and hosting platforms everywhere that make it super easy now. So it's really a great time for me to pick up where I left off, sort of. Like I said, I'm moving away from having shows that are just recordings of posts from the website. But in 2011, I left you hanging in the middle of a multi-part post. I put out part one only, and that series has five parts. So I'd at least like to finish that series up first, and then we can really start opening things up format-wise. So since the last episode was How to Build a Home Recording Studio Part 1, I'll pick up today on part two. Part one focused on things that you do before you actually record. I talked about sort of my theory for home recording, which is that it's more important to have some knowledge, not hard knowledge. I'm talking about things that anyone can understand, but it's more important to have those basics than to have really expensive gear. People make bad recordings with expensive gear every day. So part two of this series is called Six Tips for Preventing Noise. 
By noise, I'm talking about three main things. First is what you normally think of as noise, which is stuff like leaf blowers, barking dogs, computer fans, and air conditioner motors and fans. Second, if you're recording vocals, you'll get mouth noises, such as popping pee sounds and clicky saliva sounds. The third kind of noise includes room echo and reverb. The best way to record noise-free audio is to record in an acoustically ideal space, one that not only is dead quiet, but does not affect the audio in a negative way either. The problem with most home recording studios is that they're usually set up in a converted bedroom, but basically these rectangular or square rooms that we have in our homes are the opposite of ideal acoustically. I'll talk about why that is in a second. But since ideal acoustic spaces are really hard to come by in home studios, the best option might be to buy a purpose-made vocal isolation booth. You need the kind treated with acoustic materials to prevent and or absorb echoes, allowing you to record only the signal, the thing you want recorded, like the voice or the instrument. There are a couple of commercially available ones that you can buy, but they can get pretty expensive. One example is the ClearSonic Isopack, which will run you about $1,100. Yeah, like I said, it can get pretty expensive to get a proper vocal booth in your studio. Another option for a commercial vocal booth is something called the Whisper Room. These are pretty popular, but they're also really expensive. They go for between $4,000 and $10,000. Yeah, not many of us are looking at a budget like that, at least not at first. Now, I'm betting that right about now, some of you are thinking, well, I'll just use that closet and convert that into a vocal booth. I very much recommend that you don't do this. Avoid the closet. The room sound in even a tiny room, like a closet, can sound really bad, especially in the case of square or rectangular closets. Yes, in a closet, you can block out the extraneous noises like leaf blowers and fans, but the room sound will be very boomy and boxy. It just won't sound good. You might be able to use a closet if you stuff it full of very acoustically absorbent materials, or make sure that you're surrounded by lots of jackets and coats. That can actually work pretty well. I've done that. You want to make sure that no sound can reflect off the walls. Or make sure that there are no parallel surfaces in the closet. That can be hard because most closets are sort of rectangular or square, but sometimes closets have triangular walls. That can really help, actually, because of the way the sound bounces off the walls. Preferably, you'd have both, no parallel surfaces and a bunch of absorbing material inside the closet. But, like I said, I think it's best just to not bother with the closet. For most folks, it is often impractical or too expensive to have either a very quiet recording space or a good-sounding isolation booth. Most of us do our recording in a spare bedroom, like I'm doing right now, and bedrooms are notoriously effective at producing bad echoes that when added to the signal, that's the thing you want to record, like your voice or an instrument, make the audio worse. So why do bedrooms sound so bad? Sound bounces off of hard surfaces all over your room, combining with each other to amplify 
or even reduce certain parts of the sound. Usually it's both. Some parts of the audio get amplified and some gets reduced. Then all these different mutant versions of your voice that are bouncing around the walls arrive at the microphone along with the direct signal, but usually at different times. The results are echoey at best and likely will also sound unnatural and funky, sounding muffled or tinny or like it came over a telephone or even all of these. If you've watched a lot of internet videos where someone is narrating, you've almost certainly heard the echoey room sound thing. In fact, it is way too common that a very slick and professional looking video has bad audio laid over the top. Usually it sounds like the person's speaking in a bathroom or something. In the case of talking head videos, the person talking to the camera, not the 80s rock group, this is almost always caused by the fact that the narrator is relying on the built-in camera mic, which is several feet away. The further the sound source is from the microphone, the more room sound will be recorded. That's actually one of the tips I have for you in this post. So, what are alternatives to sound booths? If you don't have a booth, there are still things you can do and for a much more affordable price, starting with free. The first thing we have to do is deal with room noise before any sound even reaches the microphone. One way to do this is to put acoustic foam on the walls in the bedroom. If you can afford acoustic absorbing foam on your walls, and it's much less expensive than buying a vocal booth, it'll be so much easier to reduce room noise. A good place to start is with Aurelex products, a-U-R-A-L-E-X. Just put that in Google and you'll see what I'm talking about. Basically, these are foam panels that you tack or somehow attach to the walls in the area where you're going to record. They allow you to stay in the main room as opposed to a booth or closet, which is much more convenient and comfortable. You'll probably still have computer fans or air conditioning fan noise but that can be both minimized and removed with noise reduction software after the fact. This can still be a pricey option though, so if you can't yet put acoustic foam on the walls, the following tips will help you immensely, and most of them you can do right away and are free. Tip number one, use a microphone with a cardioid pickup pattern. Fortunately, most mics default to that pattern. Cardioid mics record only what is in front of them, they reject any sound coming from behind and most of the sound coming from the side. These can help reduce room noise a lot. If you have a computer fan or other source of extraneous noise like that, that way the cardioid mic will reject that sound since it will be coming from behind it. Tip number two, get your mouth close to the mic, like four to six inches. This will help the mic get mostly your voice the signal, and less of the reflected sound, all those copies of the sound that are bouncing around the walls. This is probably the most important and definitely the fastest thing you can do if your recording space isn't great. This is doubly true if you're shooting talking head videos. See my article, Sound for Video, How to Get Good Audio on Your Videos. For more on this, there's a good video on there. Tip number three. Record as loud as possible without distorting or clipping. A lot of people make this mistake. They record their voice at a low level, and then they raise the level after the fact in the software, turning it up. 
The problem is that they're also raising the noise when they do this. So make sure to capture as high a level as possible of your voice in the first place. You can use the gain level on your interface, if you have one of those, or the software mixer panel, if you're using a USB mic, to do this. Tip number four, blankets behind and in front of you. One reason for a lot of the reverb in a rectangular bedroom is that the sound bounces off the wall you're facing and comes back at you. A cardioid mic can reject the noise coming back toward you. However, the sound will then bounce off the wall behind you and come right into the front of the mic. Since it had to travel further, it will combine with the direct audio from your mouth and sound like an echo. But if you can hang some acoustic blankets or even some of that acoustic foam behind you, that could reduce the reverb by reducing the amount of sound that bounces off the wall behind you. You might even be able to use some large, soft things you already have, such as moving blankets or even mattresses. And you can reduce that echo even more if you have enough absorbing material to put on the wall in front of you as well as behind you. Tip number five, noise reduction. The next step in producing clean audio is to reduce the noise after it already gets recorded. Some noise will be inevitable in our recording when our rooms are less than perfect. The way to do that is to use tools in recording software. One is called noise reduction. What noise reduction does is it samples a section of the audio that is only noise when there's no voice talking, so it knows what to turn down. Then the program separates the noise from the signal and gets rid of it, ideally leaving the signal-slash-voice unaffected. There is often some artifact left behind after noise reduction is performed. It usually sounds like swirling water, so you have to play with the settings to find the right balance of noise reduction without making the signal sound too weird. And the more noise there is to start with, the worse that swirly artifact is. If you only have a little noise, a steady computer fan, say, then you can probably remove that noise with noise reduction and have no artifacts on the leftover voice. And tip number six, mouth noise removal. You can also remove popping P's, or B or TH sounds, and saliva clicks, also using software. Let's start with the P-pops. There are ways to prevent mouth noises, for plosive sounds, that low-frequency blast of air sound caused by certain consonants like the letter P or B or even TH or CH, you can use a pop screen or pop filter in front of your mic. But even with one of those, you'll likely get some popping P sounds in your recording. Luckily, you can use software to remove those sounds. I detail how to do that using free software called Audacity in my article and it also has a video, called How to Fix a P-Pop in Your Audio with a Sound Editor, which is on the Homebrew Audio site. You can use a tool built right into Audacity called EQ, or Equalization, in order to do this. Another very common mouth noise issue is the clicking sound caused by either a dry mouth or even too much moisture in your mouth. There isn't much you can do to prevent this except maybe drinking water or eating sour apples. Again, though, there is a free way to remove these if they do end up in your recording. I have another article, again with a video, about how to do this using Audacity here, again using the EQ tool. It's called How to Use an Audio Editor to Remove Saliva Noises from Voice Recordings. 
If you do all six of those things, you can get the best possible audio out of the cheapest possible gear. It's what I did in the $5 versus $500 thing, which, if you didn't hear what that was, is a comparison of a bad recording made by a friend of mine using $500 worth of gear, because he didn't know what he was doing, compared to a video I made with a little headset microphone that right now you could probably get for $15 at the time I bought it for $5 at Target. And a lot of people think that the audio recorded with the $5 mic is the audio recorded with the $500 and vice versa. If you go to the homepage of Homebrew Audio, you can hear those examples. So this was the first answer to the question of how we move toward pro audio from that $5 setup, having a basic understanding of how to limit noise. In the next installment of this series, the next podcast episode two, we'll talk about digital audio and what kinds of microphones can be used to give us even better sounding audio quality. That's it for this episode. Tune in next time for another Homebrew Audio podcast. 